Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I wanted to start this morning with, with kind of a question. Have you ever spent time in the Word, or, or maybe on a Sunday, or maybe hearing a song, worship song, and you were just overwhelmed by God? You know, one of those times where for, for some reason, whatever it is, you're just brought to tears, or you just have to cry out hallelujah. Maybe I'm the only weirdo around here. Um, well, that hap- that doesn't, that's not like an all-the-time thing, for me at least. Uh, but this week, studying this passage, you know, sitting in my office, reading, praying, writing, I, I had one of those moments where I just went, oh my gosh, God, you're so good, um, and just kind of overwhelmed with him. And so I'm, my prayer has been that you will, the same thing will happen to you uh, today, because there's just nothing like that, being overwhelmed by who God is, and who he is just overshadows everything we deal with. Um, and so I'm excited for what God has for us today. Uh, I think God has big plans for today. It seems like the enemy has been trying to make things weird for the day. You know, that's behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, but God has a message for us. And so I'm hoping that, uh, that God will do in your heart what he did in my heart this week. Um, who here, real quick, who's familiar with the Enneagram personality test? Okay, not as many as I thought. Interesting. Okay, well, our son, Brendan, so... It, in general, that's a younger audience. Uh, he's really into the Enneagram, and it's one of those personality profiles that you take, um, and it can be an excuse for being a knucklehead, and you're like, oh, well, I'm a number three, and so this is what threes do. Anyway, it can be good, though, as well. <laughs> and, and I took the test, because Brennan wanted us to, and I came out as an eight. Um, and an eight, here's, here's an eight described. Self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. Uh, the eight is called a challenger. And as I read that, I'm like, uh, yeah. And the truth is, often, that's not an awesome thing. I mean, it can be good, but it's often not an awesome thing. Because for me, I, I see things that I think should be right or things that are wrong. And I do get sometimes aggressive against it. You know, or I want to I take what's wrong and fix it and make what's right. There's been more than once where Callie has had to, you know, like call me and just say, hey, be quiet, don't do anything right now, because uh, when I act in emotion often, it's not good, but if, you know, one of my girls, if they're being treated unfairly uh, anywhere, it's like, I will be quick to, I'll go visit the teacher, I'll go deal with this, no, 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 sit down, <laughs> don't, I'll go do, I know the principal, let's go meet with the principal, I'll fix it, no, I'll ride the bus with them, this won't happen again if I ride the bus, no, no, <laughs> and so Callie's been great to go, Chill out, you know, just wait till tomorrow, and then maybe do, do something. And maybe you can relate to some of those personality aspects. And now, in our world, right now, part of that personality profile is, don't tell me what to do. Um, and with our world right now, that, that has come out in me a little bit. Like, don't tell me what to do. You know, don't control me. I, I have certain rights. And as an American, I think this is somewhat heightened. You know, we have our, our Bill of Rights. Our country was founded on rights, which they said the inalienable rights given by God that, you know, we have these rights because of who we are as image bearers of God. And then as a, a nation, we've acknowledged those rights. And the fact is, right now, a lot of those rights are being encroached on. Some of those are being taken away. And the threat is that they're going to be more and more taken away. I had a conversation with our youth pastor, uh, David, a few weeks ago as we were looking at this series of, of God's view of current events. And as we were talking, he brought up this topic. So he, it's his fault that we're looking at this today. Um, but he, he handled it really well. You know, he just expressed uh, his struggle at, and again, his wife, kind of like mine, helped set him straight, but where he's getting fired up about what's happening. And she's like, whoa, calm down. Let's talk about our rights. And as Jesus followers, 
this tension between being American and being a Jesus follower. And I'll be honest, there, there is a tension there of I'm an American and I have my rights and we have to fight for our rights and all these things. And then being a Jesus follower and realizing I'm actually a citizen of heaven. I belong to Jesus before I'm an American. I'm not an American and then a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower, a citizen of his, and then I am an American. And so there's a tension there between our rights, uh, our rights and what God would have us do. And so here's the question that we want to ask and answer today. How should an American Jesus follower think and act in regard to our rights? How should an American Jesus follower think and act in regard to our rights? Now, this really is kind of a follow-up to the first week in this series, uh, which was us and the government. And as we looked at us and the government, we really had a conclusion as we looked at what Paul wrote, meaning submit to the government as much as possible unless you're asked to disobey God. And if you're clearly asked to disobey God, then we disobey the government respectfully, willing to take the results, the consequences of that, and we follow Jesus. This one, this lesson, we're going to look in Philippians, so you can turn there, Philippians 2. But I'm going to be totally honest, you're not going to get an exact answer today. You're not going to get the, okay, here's what we do exactly. You're not going to get that. I think you're going to get something better, at least I did. Jesus is going to show us the heart. He's going to show us his heart and the heart that he wants to have. And when our heart is surrendered to Jesus... He will then lead us to make the right actions in the right time because in this current situation, I think different churches, different people, different circumstances, the right action might look different in each situation. And we can't look at them and go, oh, they're doing it wrong because they're, they're doing it wrong. But when we have the right heart, hopefully we will do it right before God, what he's asking us to do. So turn to Philippians, if you would, please. I'm very excited for what God has to say to us. Philippians 2. And in this passage, we're going to see something. So in this passage, Paul is writing to this church in Philippi who he loves dearly. And the topic right now is unity. So he's going to start out with unity, and then he's just going to drop this bomb of theological truth, which Paul seems to do that. He'll just go along saying something like, yeah, we get it. That's important. And then he'll just drop something. You're like, whoa, my mind was just blown. And then he moves back to his main topic. He does that here. So let's watch for that. Look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. Paul writes to the Philippians. He says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So again, you see here, and I like the way Paul argues. Uh, he begins, if there is any, and then he goes through this list. And really, it's kind of a, a sideway around. He said, since you have these, do you have these things? Do we have these things in Christ? And the answer is absolutely. We as Jesus followers, we have encouragement. We have comfort, all these things from him. And he said, because that's true, maintain unity. That's the main point in these verses. Not be exactly alike. Be of the same mind. It doesn't mean we agree on everything. But it, it means we are going in the same direction for the same purpose. That, that means we're, we're following Jesus hopefully empowered by the Holy Spirit, you know, wanting what he wants. And then we have unity in that. And then we can wrestle with the secondary things, right? You know, we can argue about them lovingly. We can discuss them. But we're still united as we go in that direction. And so his topic here, again, is maintain unity. Since we have these things, since God has given you this, maintain unity. 
big theme in Scripture, big theme for us as a church. Now he continues it in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So again, here we're getting instructions on unity, and it's consider others as more important. Now, as Americans, we have this thing about our rights, and a lot of it is it's about me. And we were found, I think, on good economic principles. We can get into debates on that. But found on these things, you work hard, you accomplish, you achieve, and then hopefully you, know, you give and all these things. But often it becomes about me. But we see here as Jesus followers, Jesus so often in all of Scripture says, it's not about you. In fact, that's one of our values here at Common Ground. It's not about me. It's not about me. And as Jesus followers, this is to be our heart. It's not about me. It's about you. You know, as we are fellow Jesus followers, when I'm walking right with God, I look at you and go, it's about you. It's not about me. When I'm walking right with God, I come into my house and I look at my wife, Callie, and I go, it's about you. It's not about me. I look at my crazy kids and go, it's about you and you and you and you. <laughs> you know, not about me. And that's when we're walking right with God, this is what the Holy Spirit does through us. It's not about me. We consider others as more important than ourselves, more significant, looking out for the interests of others. Again, you, you see how this kind of goes against the my rights thing? We had an example of this in our family recently, and I'm not going to tell you who, um, but it was a bag of chips. Again, you guys probably don't have these silly things in your families, um, but you know, when we go out, we'll grab that bag of variety, sorted chips, whatever, and everybody likes the same kind, so I don't know why we don't just go buy that kind, but this is what we do, and, and there was one kind left, one bag of one kind, and one kid wanted it. Well, and the other kid, maybe it wasn't a kid, I don't know, maybe it was an adult, uh, somebody else also wanted it. And the discussion, I'm driving, and the discussion is, well, you had more bags of chips than me. Yeah, but you had that kind of, and the argument was going back of why I deserve this last bag of chips. Here's my argument as to why it's just, right, and fair that I get the bag of chips. And my pastor dad response that's just so annoying, I know, was, you know, since Jesus died for us, and has freely given us everything, wouldn't you just want what's best for them? Wouldn't you just, at your heart, want to give them the bag of chips? You know, and that's like, that's not helpful right now. Um, but, but, aren't I right? <laughs> aren't, isn't that the, the view here? Since we have these things in Christ, I'm now free to put you first. And look at any relationship, marriage, if you're married, you know this to be true. That this is how marriage works. When I want what's best for her, and she also wants what's best for me. And I mean, that's like the sweet spot in marriage when you're both there. Um, and often we're not both there. Maybe one of us is there for a while and then the other. But when we're both there consistently, there's the sweet spot in marriage of looking at what's best for you, not the, hey, let's do what's fair. It's fair if you do these things. And I deserve you to do these things. And then she looks at you and goes, yeah, well, it's fair if you do these things. When we start saying, I deserve or I have my rights in those relationships, it starts to get off. We might be right, and I've met with, with spouses, men and women, who say, it's not fair that he or she is doing this. I said, you're right, it's not fair. I deserve this or that. It's true, you do. 
But even though that's true, what's your response as a Jesus follower? And is it to say, I deserve this and demand it? Actually, what Scripture says is the opposite. That's not what we do as Jesus. We don't demand our rights with one another. And number five, uh, verse 5 really gets to the, the crux of the matter. Look at verse 5 with me. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Stop. And it's the middle of a, a sentence, but what's he saying? Have this mind, which is like Jesus. He is sharing the key truth for us as growing Jesus followers. You are to be like Christ. Have the mind of Christ. He's going to say, here's what Jesus is like. Be like this, because who is it that lives in us? It's Jesus. We're not saved and then told to go be good for God. We're saved and then we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by Jesus himself to live like Jesus. It is awesome. I think I heard sometime in the last week, uh, we're not natural, we're supernatural. You know, Preston, I like the way he said that. It's true, we're supernatural because we are to be like Christ. Ephesians 5.1 says it this way. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Therefore, be imitators of God. When we are saved, we enter this process called sanctification by which the Holy Spirit helps to make us more and more like Jesus. When we surrender to him, when we cooperate, he uses his word, he uses fellow believers, he uses the church. He uses circumstances. He wants to make us like Jesus. And when we're walking rightly, we want to be like Jesus. As Jesus followers, our goal is to think like Jesus, live like Jesus, love like Jesus. That's our goal. Now let's, uh, let's take that and bring that to our view of our rights. Since this is true, how did Jesus view his rights? What did he do with that? Look at verse 6. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Right there, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God. That word form is a word in Greek that means exact likeness. It's not like a, uh, a portrait or a picture. You know, I take a picture of you and then put it in and say that's form. No, it's actually an exact in every way likeness. If something is exactly like God, what is it? It is God. So what he's saying is Jesus was in the form, exact form of God. Jesus is God. And there's something a little bit confusing here in verse 6, where uh, at least in mine, uh, the ESV translation, it says, who, though he was in the form of God... If you ever look at the Greek and all that, was isn't in there. You know, we have to translate because you can't do exact like Greek. We have to make some decisions when we interpret. But was sounds to us like past tense. But this verse is written in present tense. The very word for word from Greek is who in the form of God existing. Jesus, listen to that. Jesus, who in the form of God existing, meaning Here's this deep truth. It gives me chills. Jesus was in the form of God before and when he became a man. When Jesus became a man, he did not cease being God. 
He didn't go, okay, I'm God. Now I'm not God for a while while I'm man. Jesus was 100% God while he was in his human form. Wow. He was 100% God, 100% man. 100% plus 100% equals 100%. I don't get it either. He was fully God. Jesus, who, being in the form of God existing, set some things aside. Now, hold on a minute. John 1.1 just reaffirms this truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus existed as God from the beginning and in his human life continued exist, to exist fully as God. Because our topic here is rights, and we're seeing this in this passage, what rights does God have? It was this topic. When I was sitting reading this and I asked that question, I had to cry out, God, have mercy on us. God, you are so great. Have mercy on us sinners. Because what rights does God have? He has the right to worship. He has the right to glory, doesn't he? This is God, sinless God who made us to love us. He has the right for every single human to bow before him. That's his right. He has the right to remain on his throne. He is the only one that deserves a throne. He has the right to stay there. He has the right to not suffer pain. He has the right to not be betrayed. He has the right, and here's another deep truth that I don't fully understand. He has a right to maintain that full unity within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All these rights, he set some of these aside when he became a man. Something happened when he became a man. Verse 7 says that he, or verse 6, let me, let me count, stay there real quick. Uh, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not consider all these rights that he had as God to be something, the word grasped means to be held on to, to, to hold tightly to. So all these things that he is, was, continued to be in God, he, he didn't hold on to them. He let them go. He let go of, again, being in the form of God, not being a human. He let go of these things so that he could suffer, so that he could be like us. Jesus became human, gave up his rights, suffered and died so that every knee would bow to God. Verse 7 says, He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what God did for us. God was not thinking about his rights. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about those people out there uh, protesting and causing all these riots. Those people that we look at and go, I can't believe you're doing that. And God looked at them and said, I love you. I want you to be saved. You know, as Alex taught, we're made in the image of God. Every human is made in the image of God. And that we look at everybody and we see the value that God is put in them because they belong in his, because they're made in his image. God set it all aside. And if our job, our responsibility, our pleasure as Jesus followers is to be like him, how did Jesus view his own rights? My goodness, just... Picture the last few days of his life. Picture the night he was betrayed when he had dinner with his disciples, when Judas 
kissed him. You know, Judas left. Judas betrayed him. Judas then later would meet him in the garden and kiss him on the cheek, betray him with a kiss. Before that, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He is praying, asking God, Lord, I know your plan. God, I know your plan that I'm going to go die for the sins of all humanity. But if there's another way, can we do that? I mean, this is Jesus. He's sweating drops of blood. If there's another way, but he ends it with, but your will be done. He ends it with submission. We don't know everything that Jesus went through that day and the next day. We don't know. We can't grasp it. Something happened when Jesus died. Again, I don't get it, but he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And tradition interprets that as at that moment, the father turned his eyes away from the son. That something happened within the Trinity there we cannot fully understand. He suffered so greatly. Again, he didn't deserve it. He had the right to glory. He had the right to worship. He did not deserve that. But praise God that he wasn't fair. Praise God he's not fair. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just leave that up for a few minutes. If we got what we deserved, we would be condemned to hell apart from God for eternity. Praise God he's not fair. Praise God he doesn't demand his rights. But wait a minute, God is just. And we see in Romans that he is both just and justifier of those who would believe. Meaning God is just, he is fair. Meaning sin had to be dealt with, so he paid for it. He is just, and he took the penalty, he took the punishment that our sin deserved on himself. So he is just to the situation, just not to you and not to me. Praise God. Praise God. I am so glad he's not fair. I look in the mirror and, I go, and I've had conversations with plenty of people that go, why would God love me? I'm a pile of junk. And my response is, you are a pile of junk. And so am I apart from Jesus. Praise God. Praise God that in his grace and his mercy, he went to the cross for us. And he chose us not because there was anything special in us. Praise him. What was Jesus motivated by? Romans 5.8. He demonstrates his love toward us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, God, was motivated by love. What motivates us? What motivates us? Is it love or is it what we deserve? This is in your notes there. Are you motivated by your rights or by love, which leads to humility and the willingness to lay down our rights for God's kingdom and for others? Here's the tension, right? As Americans, we do have these rights. Is, is, uh, is it fair that there's no racism? Yes. Should we be for uh, equality? Absolutely. Is it fair that we have freedom of religion? Yes. Should we take actions uh, to take steps to maintain our freedom of religion? Yes, we absolutely should. And I've seen churches that have done it right lately. They've gone through the proper process uh, that we have through our courts to say, we need to get our rights. There's the right way to do it. And are we motivated by love as we move forward or are we motivated by our rights? Are we American before we're Christians? And, and I gotta tell you, I'm not on social media, but people tell me, <laughs> people that read it, 
There are Christians on this social media that are not representing Christ because they are so about our rights and what we deserve as Americans rather than loving the people that might read that post. Do you want to win the argument or do you want to win the person? You know, I've had this conversation often with my kids, you know, dealing with, with unbiblical things and people that, that don't love Jesus, that don't know Jesus, and they want to argue about what's right and, and, and win the argument. I said, who, who cares about winning the argument if you don't win the person? You know, God isn't about making everything exactly right. I mean, he knows what's right. He's about winning the person. Are we also? Or are we so bent that we deserve our gun rights or whatever? Let's go down the list. Or are we motivated by love? Again, I told you we're not going to get exact answers of what to do exactly. And we're going to have to make those decisions. And even as a church, as time goes on, we're going to have to make those decisions. But I wanted to touch the heart because Jesus touched my heart on this. What motivates you? What motivates you? Is it love because he first loved us and gave himself up for us? Or are we motivated by anything else? Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Is that what motivates us? Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for this passage. God, as we bring this idea of rights, we as Americans, we are Americans, we do have these rights, and we do deserve certain freedoms, and I believe you, you want us to have certain freedoms. God, and there's a right way to go about these things, but God, even as your followers, when we love you, sometimes we can get wrapped up in what's going on uh, in our nation, uh, in our own world, in our families. And we can feel like we deserve some things. And we can do wrong, take wrong steps uh, toward maintaining our rights or getting back our rights or whatever it is. God, I ask for a heart change in us if it's what we need. That we would love first. And then we would do what you would want us to do when it comes to rights and justice. Because I believe you do want to change society to bring closer to you. But not in and of itself. It, It comes through a surrendering to you. That's where these things come from. So God, I I pray this for our hearts, whether it's in our marriage, uh, in our families, in any of those relationships, in our jobs, in our lack of jobs, um, in in our country, whatever it is, God, if there's any area where we're struggling with what we deserve and what our rights are, and we're not in line with you, God, I ask that you would correct it. That you would set us on your course by putting yourself in front of our eyes. By lifting yourself up. God, you are in glory. Jesus, you came, you did all this for us, and now you've been risen to glory. You're on your throne. You're getting what you deserve. For eternity, you will get what you deserve. And, but right now, it's not fully. Not every knee has bowed. And God, we want to be part of that. We want to be part of your mission to help all, every knee bow before you. In Jesus' name, amen.